Good morning, everyone. It's great to be to see you all here this morning. Our reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ who was to be born. He asked him where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We ask God's blessing on this reading of his word. Amen. The boss wondered why one of his most valuable employees was absent from work and had not phoned in one day and needed, have, needed an urgent problem to be solved. He dialed his employer's home number and was greeted by a child's whispered, Hello? Is your daddy home? he asked. Yes, whispered the small voice. May I talk to him? No, said the child. Surprised and wanting to speak to an adult, the boss asked, Well, is your mother there? Yes, she is, said the whispering, boy, whispering child. May I talk with her, please? No came back the reply. Hoping there was someone with whom the boss could leave a message given the urgency of the situation, the boss asked, is anyone else at home? Yes, said the child. There's a policeman. Wondering what the policeman was doing at the house, the boss asked, well, can I speak with a policeman? And the child said, no, he's busy speaking with my mummy and daddy. Growing more and more anxious and aware of this thudding noise that was coming through the telephone line, he said, what on earth is that noise? And the child said, it's a helicopter landing. It's a helicopter with a police search team. A police search team, said the, the employer. A police search, search team, he says, what on earth are the police search team searching for? And the child said with a whispered laugh, <clears throat> they're searching for me. <laughs> a 
Three wise men embark on a very, very long journey in search of a child. The most important child ever to be born, not just on planet Earth, but in the universe. And at the outset of this whole passage, we need to understand that Matthew is trying to tell us that these are momentous events occurring. Matthew is shouting to the world, listen world, wake up world, something significant is occurring here. In the first part of his gospel, he goes through, and we read that some weeks ago, the genealogy, the lineage of this man, in order to demonstrate that this child was born in the lineage, in the line of David, as the Messiah should be born in the line of David. Then last week, Terry was telling us, but he goes on to say, so special is this child that his mother conceived the child when she hadn't had sex. She conceived the child because the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a special child. And now he continues his introduction to his gospel by saying, and then special events continued and surrounded the birth of this child. And that including, and that included the trek, the the pilgrimage of Magi from the east in search of this newborn king. Matthew is shouting to us here, he's saying, look, this is no ordinary birth. This is no ordinary child. This is no ordinary event. This event deserves our full attention because this event concerns the people of this planet. Magi from the east come in search of the king. And they title this child in verse 2, the king of the Jews. As the first thing we see in this passage is the searchers. The searchers. These men have travelled many thousands of miles in search of this child, this newborn king. The question we have before us first of all is, just who were these men? Just who were the Magi? Well, one of the ancient writers, Herodicus, tells us that Magi were originally a Median tribe. And originally, the Persians and the Medes were part of the same people group, but the Medes were an independent part, of, like, of that people group. And they tried, in fact, to take over power of the whole of Persia, and they tried to organize a political coup. But unfortunately for them, the political coup never occurred, and they actually lost the coup, and the, and the Persians won. And as a consequence, the Magi as a tribe determined never ever to get involved in politics again. And they became a priestly caste, a bit like the Levites are to the Jewish people, a priestly caste to such a degree that no sacrifice could take part, place in Persia without a Magi being present. They were first and foremost a priestly caste. But because they were men of learning and men of scholarship, who actually spent many hours in the libraries, they became famous for their wisdom, hence their description as wise men. So much so that the courts of the Persian emperors and the Persian kings always wanted Magi to teach and to educate their children. They became the scholars, the professionals, the, sorry, the professors and the priests of the ancient Persian world. And also they were renowned for their ability to read the stars. Astrology was very, very common thousands of years ago. 
because people could look at the stars and see movements that happened every day and every year. Certain things would happen in the stars. And they predicted that because it was so mechanistic, if something happened out of that mechanism, it was significant. And so astrology, as opposed to astronomy, which is watching the stars, astrology, which is the interpretation of the stars, became very, very popular um, in different cultures, including among the Magi. And so here the Magi were, somewhere probably in Persia, watching the stars, and something special happened. Something happened up there in the constellations, but suddenly for them, consulting their books, suggested that a new king was to be born. Remember, in fact, that Persia was the first emperor, uh, empire to conquer the Jews. The first ever exile was the Persian exile. And in fact, the, the, the Jews lived for, in Persia for many, many years. And as a consequence, they were familiar with the Old Testament. They were in the libraries of Persia. And it may well have been that these Magi, who were scholarly men, had actually understood the Old Testament, suddenly saw, between what they were seeing in the stars and what they were reading in the Old Testament, some kind of connection. We don't know. It's believed there were three of them. But so much we know about the, um, in fact, we know very little about the Magi. What we know about is found in, in accounts like this from Matthew. So much of what people think about the Magi, in fact, is just speculation, particularly from the medieval period. We believe there are three of them because they had three gifts. But we don't know. In the ancient tradition, suggests there were more than three of them. There may have been 12, up to 12. We call them wise men because the Magi were wise, and we know this from history and from what we know of ancient Persia and what have you. But during the medieval period, the belief grew up that they were free kings as opposed to free wise men. And one of the reasons for that is verses like Psalm 72, verse 10, which says, The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring a tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and of Seba will present him gifts. And Verses like that from Psalm 72 has led to the belief, some people believe, they weren't just Magi or wise men, they actually were kings from the world coming to worship at the feet of a new king, the universal king. Matthew doesn't mention these because these are superfluous. These details aren't important. In fact, the medieval writers even gave the three, three kings names and actually have detailed descriptions of them. And you'll see this in some stained glass windows in churches based upon medieval speculation, but it is nothing more than speculation. What we're dealing with here is a historical event. It's not a legend. It's not some kind of made-up tale. In fact, the fact it involves astrology suggests most of all that it wouldn't be a made-up tale because, because the Bible actually does, speaks about astrology being not something that's good and not something that encourages people to do. What we find here in this passage is about something that's very, very likely to have happened. Why? Because at the time of the first century, in around about those years, there was a great expectation in all cultures in the ancient Near East about someone special coming up, some special king. This is spoken about by the Roman historians. For example, Suetonius, who wrote the famous account of the Twelve Caesars, he says this, an ancient superstition was current in the East. And out of Judea at this time that there will come the rulers of the world. Another very famous, one of our most famous Roman historians, Tacitus, he says this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East would grow powerful, would grow powerful, and rulers would come out of Judea and acquire 
a universal empire. There was a messianic expectation in the ancient Near East at this time. But also there was incredible activity in the stars around about the time of the first century. Next slide, please. There was, for example, Halius Comets made one of its brilliant passes in the year 11 BC. And we know that Jesus was born between 10 and 4 BC. We know that for a fact because um, he, um, that's, the, that's the rule, the end of the rule. 4 BC was the end of the rule of King Herod. In 7 BC, there was a spectacular planetary conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter that burned for a long, long time, bright in the sky. In 5 and 4 BC, Chinese astronomers observed a supernova that burned brightly in the night sky for 70 days. While between the year of 5 and 2 BC, on the first day of the Egyptian month Missouri, Sirius, the dog star, rose at sunrise and shone with great brightness. Now, that month Missouri in the Egyptian calendar is the month that means the birth of a prince. And so these phenomena of the night sky were very, very significant. And any one of these, or perhaps another event that we don't know about, may have caused these, these wise men to leave their eastern homes and travel for thousands of miles across to find the king. So that this event is, is not going to be legendary. Matthew himself doesn't write in a legendary way. He wouldn't spend the first chapter of his uh, gospel account by describing the so-called boring genealogy of Jesus if he was a man who w went into myth and into legend. He anchors the birth of Jesus in history. He anchors him in, 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 in time and space. And what we read about in Matthew's Gospel is a very likely occurrence to have occurred. And what's wonderful in this passage is this. You find that men who are looking for the king, genuinely searching to find the new king, but looking in the wrong direction, can still find Jesus. God even uses a thing like astrology, which is not encouraged in the Bible in any way. God can use that to draw someone towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because our God is a gracious God. Some years ago I read a great account by a Muslim lady who was earnestly seeking to find Jesus or find God through her Islamic faith. And she religiously read the Quran and sought God in prayer for a healing, for an illness or a condition she'd, she'd contracted when she was a young child. And she was continually frustrated when her prayers weren't answered. Then following her father's death, stricken by grief and emptiness, she sought God with a renewed vigour. She writes in her book, The Torn Veil This, she says this, It was then out of sheer helplessness that I began to talk to God, really talk to him, not as a Muslim does using set prayers, approaching him across a great gulf. Driven by the vast emptiness inside, I prayed as if talking to one who knew my circumstances and my need. I can't explain it, but I knew I was being heard. And it was as if a veil had been lifted between me and some great source of peace. The voice came again, vibrant and low. 
Who gave eyes to the blind? And who made the sick whole? And who healed lepers and raised the dead? I am Jesus, son of Mary. Read about me in the Quran, in the Surah Maryam. That woman was a woman called Goshen Esther. And she was an a, um, a, a Islamic princess. And she became a Christian and wrote a wonderful book called The Torn Veil. And I highly commend it to you. It's published by Marshall Pickering. You'll be able to find it on, um, on Amazon. About a woman who was looking at the Muslim faith to find God. But because she was seriously and genuinely looking, God revealed himself, even when she perhaps was looking in the wrong direction. Because our God is a gracious God. And when the Bible says, seek and you will find, that is a promise for all of us. When you genuinely seek the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find him. The reason many people don't find him is because they don't genuinely seek him. They're more like the next person in our story. The schemer. The schemer. And Herod's plan was only to search for a new king, not to worship him, but to destroy him. Herod's plan was to keep in power. Herod's plan was to remain at the top of the tree. Herod's plan was to remain king. King of Jerusalem and king of his life. And we're told in verse 3, when the Magi came into Jerusalem, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. He was one of those rulers that when he was upset, everyone was upset. I don't know if you've ever worked in a toxic place like that. I have, where you've got a, a toxic commander who actually, when he's unhappy, everyone is unhappy. And that was Herod. Herod was unhappy because he was a tyrant. And his insecurity was actually understandable because he wasn't fully Jewish. He was half Edomite. He didn't have the lineage of, King, of Jesus described in Genesis chapter 1. He was hated because he had got into power, first of all as the governor, but then as the king of, uh, of Jerusalem from 40 AD. And the only reason he got into power was because he was appointed by Rome. He was a puppet king of the Roman state. The Jewish people didn't like him, first of all, because he was half Jewish. Secondly, because he was a puppet king who did everything his Roman uh, um, uh, uh, betters, superiors, would demand. He was not liked at all. He was only styled Herod the Great, not because he was a great man, but because of his building projects. Nero is famous also for his great building projects. He actually oversaw the first four, five years in Rome. Nero was, uh, uh, oversaw what was a renaissance for Rome. But supremely, we remember Nero as a madman. And supremely, we remember Herod, not for his great building projects, but we remember him also as a murderer. Herod was a twisted man. He was insanely suspicious. So much so, he had seven members of the royal family killed in, in what he saw as various plots. For example, Mariamne, his wife, he had her executed. Her grandfather, Hyrcanus. Her brother, um, Aristobulus. 
and her mother, Alexander, were all murdered by King Herod. And then he even assassinated his own sons, Antipa, Alexander, and Aristobulus. All were murdered by King Herod because he saw them as a threat to his power. This was a tyrannical man who did not want to lose power in his life over Jerusalem. Just an example of how bitter and twisted um, Herod was is that when he came when he was in his 70th year and he knew he didn't have long left on planet Earth, he had a, a whole group of people throughout Jerusalem, high-powered people, arrested on trumped-up charges and they were held in prison and the orders were on the day of his death, at the moment of his dying, these people were to be executed. And he told his officers this. He said, many people will not grieve for me or shed a tear when I die, but I will guarantee the people in Jerusalem will weep the moment that I die. He was a wicked and tyrannical man. And in this story, he represents people who want so much to hang on to power, they refuse to acknowledge the truth. They're huge to listen to the truth. And so many people re reject this child, reject Jesus, not because he isn't the king, but because they want to remain in charge, because they want to remain the king of their lives, even if they don't have a rightful call upon that throne. And we as cre created people, we don't have a right to rule ourselves. You and I didn't come upon this planet by ourselves. God made us. We have a creator. We have a father who demands our honor and our respect and our worship. And here's a tragic picture of a man who's so twisted by his desire to remain in power, he will do whatever he can, even kill 70 children in Bethlehem under the age of two in order to remain on top of the tree. Herod was a schemer. He was never the king. He was there not by his right, but by his tyrannical, murderous intent. And he died a man who was always looking over his shoulder, who never knew peace. Herod never knew peace because he never knew Jesus, because he would never allow himself to bow the knee to the Prince of Peace. And we will never know peace in our lives if we refuse to bow to Jesus. And then finally in this passage we see the small but significant. The small but significant. We see God choosing Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Why would God choose Bethlehem to become the birthplace of the King of Kings? Why? It's like the King of Kings being born in Slough. What is the point? It's not the place you expect a king to be born. It's not the place that actually has greatness written upon it. Forgive me anyone who's watching from Slough right now. It's, it's not the place that you expect great things to come from. And Bethlehem, in fact, wasn't even a city. It wasn't really a town. It was a small hamlet that sat 2,400 feet upon a limestone cliff, six miles from Jerusalem. It was a small, 
insignificant little blot on the landscape. It wasn't popular. It wasn't well known. It wasn't a place of any great significance. And yet Bethlehem was a place where Rachel was buried by the patriarch Jacob. And it was Bethlehem that Ruth, the Moabitess, had lived when she had married Boaz. And it was Bethlehem that was a city or the village, hamlet if you like, in which David, who was to become the great king of Israel, was born. That's why it was described as the city of David, because it was the home of David. It was Bethlehem that when David was hungry and thirsty and he was in his cave and he was desperate for some nourishment, he spoke perhaps unwisely, he would love to drink from the well of Bethlehem and two of his mighty men went on a mission, dangerous mission to go into Bethlehem and to take water out of the well in Bethlehem to give to their king so much of their honour. And David couldn't drink that water because it had been risked by the lives of his men. He, had to, he couldn't drink it because it was too precious. Bethlehem was the city of King David. You know, I love this story because it tells us that God uses everyone even the insignificant, even the small, even the grey, even those who don't seem to have much going about them. God uses us if we're willing to be used by him. But in God's plan, Bethlehem was mighty. Bethlehem was important. Bethlehem was a great place because it will become the birthplace, not just of King David, but of the King of Kings the greatest king in the universe, the greatest king in history, came from Bethlehem. Because no one's too small or insignificant in the mighty plan of God. How did our reading begin today? But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be the ruler over Israel. Bethlehem. And in this story, you see people who are searching eagerly, and when they search eagerly, they find. You see those who refuse, and when they refuse eagerly, their will will be accepted. They will not receive the peace and the blessing of Jesus. And when you see a small, insignificant place, Bethlehem, used mightily in history as the birthplace of the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And you have this wonderful story ending in verse 11, and we're told the Magi, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And you see that when they see the star resting over that place, over that small insignificant town, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed in verse 10. And we too are overjoyed when we come to the place at which Christ dwells. When we come to know and we can worship the place in which Christ is, in which Jesus is, because he is the source of our joy. What did I say earlier on in one, uh, Philippians 1, Philippians, well not 1 Philippians, Philippians uh, 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. He is the source of joy. He is the source of peace. He gives us the very joy of this Christmas season. So let me encourage you this Sunday morning and this Christmas week 
to be like those magi, to search for him. Because if you really search for Jesus this Christmas time, you will find him. You will find him. Seek, says Jesus, and you will find. It's not a possibility. It's not a definite maybe. It is absolute. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But so often we don't seek, really seek. And Jesus says in this passage here also, we shouldn't be like the schemer who wants to remain in control. Peace can only be found when we surrender that control and bend the knee like these magi to the king of kings. True power is not found in independence. True power is not found in your own self-will. True power is only found when we, like the Magi, bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God uses the small and the so-called insignificant and gives them purpose. And God wants to lift us up and give us purpose this Christmas. Give us purpose for 2021. To make us realize that we are special. We are special because Christ can be born in our lives. And we can face the coming new year with a confidence because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are eternal beings. Because we are on our way to a definite place. We're not in a place overcome by the shadow of COVID-19, uncertain of our future. We're not people who are walking under the murk and the misery of not knowing what will happen in 2021. Because if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a certainty. And we can move forward in faith and in confidence. Because he is our peace, as Micah the prophet tells us. So let me encourage you, like those wise men, to search for him. Let me encourage you to allow him to lift you out of insignificance. And make you someone of purpose. Because you know the King of King, kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, in late 1994, Michael, uh, Martin Bashir had that famous interview, didn't he, with Princess Diana. And during that interview, she said that she wanted to be the Queen of People's Hearts. Remember that? It's very recently shown um, on a documentary um, on the BBC. Jesus is the King of people's hearts. He is the king of people's hearts. But you've got to allow that king in. You've got to bow your knee, submit to his authority, and when you do that, you will receive his peace. You receive his purpose. And his plan for you will be revealed. Amen.